so <laughs> I feel like I've just hit a eureka moment and it's actually just past midnight and I'm in Greece at the moment. But I've had a question on my mind for so long that I've been wondering about for so long. And I feel like I finally got to my answer this evening through continual contemplation <laughs> and uh, finally just researching and finding different articles on this matter. And that is why we use sexuality in a way of manipulation or for validation. So this is the topic for this evening's episode. Um, sexuality and the ways in which we use it in a manipulating way or the ways in which we use it to feel validated, uh, to feel good enough, to feel worthy, to feel what we may perceive as loved, I guess. Um, so, excuse me if I'm whispering a little bit. Um, it is quite late here and I'm away, but I just felt very, very inspired to record this right now whilst it's literally at the tip of my tongue and fresh in my mind and with so much passion in my heart. So here we are on the next episode of this podcast, which for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time is the Mind, Body, Soul podcast by myself, Lana, and uh, I have a great passion for talking of all things life and existence and authenticity and emotions and feelings and everything that uh, we don't talk about enough. So welcome if you're joining for the very first time or welcome back if you're joining again. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, it's been an amazing journey so far I've been receiving all of your emails and messages and meeting some of you in person with such kind and encouraging words around this podcast and it's been so incredible to see and hear uh, your own journeys through life and life's experiences and seeing how you've been able to resonate or connect with with what I've been able to share through my own experiences so that is the purpose of this podcast is to really connect us uh, connect us through our vulnerability. The more we share our stories, the more we're, we're able to share our stories, uh, the less we feel alone in our thoughts and our experiences of life. We live in a world that at the moment is so connected through technology and social media, but yet we feel so disconnected to ourselves and to the physical realm um, of actually living and a lot of us can feel so lonely even in large groups of people so I went through my own bouts of uh, anxiety and depression and so I talk a lot about here a, a lot on here about therapy uh, nutrition nurturing self-loving grief work uh, a lot of things that have helped me and I now work as a nutritional therapist Reiki practitioner and a yoga teacher very much still a student in all of those as we always are, always learning. 
and I offer that one-to-one to clients or also have um, group meditations that I hold in yoga but it's everything is all on my website lifespacehealing.com um, and Instagram at Luna Oniari, which you can also find on my website, lifespacehealing.com. So yeah, everything's just been a progression through my own healing journey of things. And I started to realize as I was going through healing and working on myself, which has been years and years and years. And as anyone knows, life is always unfolding something more to learn. So it never really ends. But as, uh, as I've been going through peeling back the layers of grieving and dealing with the losses that, you know, and wounds of my childhood um, and finding all these incredible tools that have been able to help me so much, like going to therapy, seeing my therapist, doing uh, emotional healing retreats, um, spiritual, spirituality, nourishing foods, all these things that kind of help me come home to myself. Um, as that's what they are, all these things are there just to bring us home to ourselves. Uh, so healers and anyone that's kind of working with people are really just there to open up that pathway of healing within us. And I felt so passionate about how much it worked for me that I decided to want to help others that way also. So it's uh, a little biography of me. <laughs> um if we've met before, you've heard my life story a million times. Thanks for being so patient. But yeah, so, so basically, I, it's been a while now since I've been really quite curious and uncertain of the understanding of why we tend to use sexuality in either a manipulating way or in a way of validation. And I think this probably might resonate more with females than it does with men. Because I think men and females, uh, male and females, we share, we obviously share sexuality, but we express it in very different ways. None, neither are inferior to the other, but we can express it in different ways. So this might resonate with females more. It's definitely in my own experience of growing up and living. Um, I It's something that I've noticed uh, a lot more within women, or I guess I'm speaking from my experience. So uh, that doesn't mean men, if you are listening, that this isn't helpful. It's very, under, it's very, very interesting to understand each sex, uh, male and female. We can learn so much from each other. So yeah, I, I, I always wondered, and I, I guess it came with the age of social media and the internet, on why we feel the need, for instance, to post countless photo, after photo, after photo, of us posing in a bikini or doing something sexual or sexy or trying to be sexy um and then and 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 that kind of to me was very clearly right okay this is you know someone seeking validation now, don't get me wrong, I think there's very a very big difference in being sexually empowered 
and then using sexuality for validation. So it's almost like trying to put yourself out there as much as possible uh, in a way that men might seem might um men might see as most attractive because a lot of society's conditioning is a girl is hot if she's in red bottom heels and you know tiny little mini dresses and whatever that you know that whole vibe is um Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I know some women who, uh, who, who, who love dressing up like that because it genuinely makes them feel good. That is how they feel empowered. They feel good in themselves when they put on that beautiful little tight dress and heels. And, and I get that. Like There are ways that, um, that, that I like to dress up that make me feel sexy too. And I do it for me because it makes me feel so good and hot, and sexy, and I love it, and it's great, and it's, it's me feeling comfortable in my self-esteem, um, so, you know, we all have different ways of what is sexy to us, but I guess what I'm talking about here is the intention, so is it to make, is it, is it, is it so that we, uh, feel good in ourselves or are we doing it for a reaction are we doing it to call or seek validation so am I purposefully today going to post a photo of me even though I saw myself here in a bikini and I thought damn I look good sure I can post that because I look good why not celebrate it why not but am I going to post it because I'm trying to prove something to others and like, yeah, look, see, I can look good too. I'm hot too. I'm hot and I'm sexy when I'm half naked, posing on my bed like I'm about to get shagged. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you guys the extremes. Um, And I, I guess a, a lot of this has come from having younger cousins who are girls or working with younger girls, speaking to younger girls, and even women, even women, many, many women who don't feel comfortable in themselves. They're highly editing every image. They are so... Um, shy in in real life or trying to hide themselves with ample amounts of makeup and and what they think will be accepted as sexy what they think will get them love and attention because that's what a lot of media tells us it's what a lot of advertising tells us and that's a whole other thing of, I mean, we could get into it and, and talk about the patriarchal um, society that we've been living in for so long that has been very heavily masculine dominated in terms of energy wise, where um, 
females have been very heavily objectified and overly sexualized, stripping them down to purely objects, stripping them down from what they're really worth. And we could go into the whole topic of why women have been suppressed in such a way or stripped back in such a way because females are, women are, divine priestesses, goddesses, incredibly powerful creatures. And there is such a big movement with this going on now of women empowerment. And it's, it's so beautiful and it's so great. And I don't, I don't believe in you know, the feminism that, 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 that some people mistaken for inequality of women being better than. Uh, I believe in the equality that feminism has been speaking out for, which is women are great too. Um, and so it's no wonder that a lot of young girls feel reduced to be nothing but their um, sexuality, but not even sexually empowered reduced to their sexuality in the hands of a man, in there to constantly seek the validation of a man, uh, there to need approval, to want the likes, to uh, need as many likes as they can to, to, to feed what they feel is love, which is a very superficial, it's not really love, but again, it's what many girls and many women believe will give them their sense of self-worth. What makes them feel loved is having a guy pine over you or want you or desire you. Which is a beautiful addition if you're in a loving relationship with someone who truly does love you for you and you love yourself wholly. And they come in as, as an addition and recognize your worth and recognize how you love yourself and love you too wholly because they're also able to love themselves. And of course, then if we're in a relationship and someone's wanting you and desiring you, that's a beautiful addition to a loving relationship. But to re be reduced down to a sexual object as if the rest of ourselves aren't worth anything else. We're reduced to our body image. We're reduced to uh, the way we make ourselves up, what we wear. And yeah, that's years and years and years and years and years of conditioning through media, through advertisement. Sex sells. It plays on the stimuli of human beings. It's a primal desire. And there's nothing wrong with desire in healthy amounts. 
and in balance, as with everything in life, in balance. But it has been so out of balance that it has been all that we have become for so many of us. And you can see, you can see how that might be because sex is also an addiction because it releases certain hormones within the body that make someone excitable. Uh, it's like a quick hit of cocaine. <laughs> for many men, for many women, it's this, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. in a healthy, loving way, when it is excitable. And it's fun and it's, but again, too much of one thing can become then an addiction. Or we keep chasing the high, we keep chasing the desire. And we reduce the thing from so far from what it is as a whole And I guess going back to my concerns and my contemplations around this topic have been working with young girls, younger women, um, and even older women. Uh, it's, it's made me sad a lot of the time. And I've wondered why It feels so sad to me. Um, and then I've also experienced uh, women who use sexuality as a way of manipulation. So they display their sex sexuality out there on the table uh, in quite a manipulative way to draw men in, again, for a way of validation, for a way of feeling loved, whether the man is married or not. And I've seen that happen around me quite a few times. <laughs> And again, I've never really understood why. And I've always just thought, but it's not, it doesn't feel wholesome to me. Something about both these things doesn't feel right. It triggers a sadness in me. Now, why? Where can I look at within me why that does trigger me so much? And I can go back to old wounds and see where that may have come up and, and why it does trigger me and look at maybe if it's just a reflection of myself that I'm reacting to. And I did that and it brought up some tears and some sadness and I understood it, but I still felt confused, confused as to, okay, I understand that that's my part, but does that mean that I'm seeing this all wrong 
or is there something else going on here that is deserving of my sadness for our collective whole, for, for the collective consciousness of us all as women? And then so I decided to try and read up on it. And I thought, because, you know, I believe in sexuality as a very beautiful, creative process. Uh, it's a very empowering part of us. And it's not something that should be suppressed. But how can we express that healthily? And what does it feel like to to feel female empowerment along with sexuality or sexuality along with female empowerment. How does that feel? Um, what does that feel like? What does that look like? Because if I'm looking at the um, majority of what sexuality looks like online or all around us, to me it does not look empowering it looks sad it looks very heavily reduced and it always looks like it's not always that's wrong because I definitely I actually had a look through a couple of females that I do follow who I find incredibly beautiful and sexy in a very authentic way and I said you see this is not what I'd see on most accounts where it's basically pornographic let's not beat around the bush um and you know i know there are arguments and stuff not none that i've gotten into but arguments online that say oh you know i I watched a documentary ages ago i think it was louis theroux who i love um who went round uh speaking to um porn stars and they, you know, a lot of the women were like, you know, I, I do this because I've got to pay for bills, etc. And if I want to be a stripper, if I want to be a porn star, that's my right and it's my body. And that's me empowering myself. That's my empowerment. And yes, Everybody has, every, uh, you know, we all have our own rights to do what we feel empowers us. And for some, maybe that is expressing themselves sexually in, in a way for entertainment. However, I was just confused... over everything that I was looking at and why it didn't look so empowering to me. And so I started to try, went to my good old friend Google and I started to research um, female empowerment and sexuality something like that. I think I tried a few different entries. And I came across one article, and it was quite interesting, written by a man, um, very insightful about female sexuality. thought, right, we're getting closer, but it still hasn't hit the nail on the head. And then I came across another article written by another man 
who is sharing his experience after being divorced in the early 90s and trying to understand why his marriage had failed. And it was so beautifully written, and I'm going to try and read elements of this out, if I can, on here whilst it's recording. But in, in ultimately what it's saying, what he's saying is that he had the most beautiful wife. She was super attractive. She was the kind of woman that walked down the street and every man would look at her and say so he just didn't understand why she couldn't see herself that way. She was super hot and that's all that he cared about when he married her. And he didn't really care too much about his character and he's being very vulnerable and open about this. And he's saying he realized that actually she had very low self-esteem. And so when he got divorced, he started to, he had read a million books and he said none of them had ever really helped with why his marriage had ended and what it was that, um, was contributing to the, I don't like to use the word failures, but what was contributing to the um, separation between them in their relationship. And so he came across a book, and I'm going to try and flip this and see if it still records. Yep, I think it does. So he wrote in this really interesting article. And it all links back to... So the article is called... Sorry, I keep thinking I'm losing you guys. The article is called Self-Esteem is Critical to a Healthy Sexual Relationship. So he goes on to tell his, his account... Right, so this is taken from an excerpt of by Nathaniel Brandon, and he wrote the most comprehensive discussion on self-esteem, and he writes, self-esteem is an experience, it is a particular way of experiencing the self, it is to move toward life rather than away from it, to move toward consciousness rather than away from it to treat facts with respect rather than denial, and to operate self-responsibly rather than the opposite. And the reason why I'm reading to you guys about self-esteem is because I realized, finally, <laughs> after what I feel like has been years, that sexual manipulation or sexuality for validation are both linked to the exact same root cause and that is a lack of self-esteem and that might seem so damn obvious <laughs> but I wondered I always wondered what it was why or I, I kind of doubted myself at times and thought well why don't I feel the need to post a million photos of myself naked up on Instagram should I is that the norm 
am I shying away from my sexuality? And then I, I look at myself and I'm like, no, in my day-to-day real life, I know who I am. And I just don't feel like I need to put that out there. So it was just trying to understand why there is this need. And I've been there, by the way, of course. You know, especially throughout my um, 20s and mid-20s and um, and earlier of, you know, seeking validation in that way and when I'd be out or on social media or... And I guess as I've grown and I've learned things and I've... I've a lot of grief work has led me to a lot more self-love and a lot of a lot more self-love has led me to more of a self-esteem. I had very low self-esteem and I still, self-esteem is something that I'm still very much building on. But I, uh, not but, and I uh, recognize how much of a difference it makes in everyday life and living of not needing this validation from others, whether it's from strangers or at work or within the family or with friends or within ourselves. Um, We can do many, many, many things, crazy things to seek validation from people and approval from people. And I think one of the biggest things that we have going on right now in society is a lack of self-esteem, of not feeling worthy, of not feeling good enough. And gosh, there are so many things that come into play with that. There's childhood conditioning, there's uh, society's conditioning, there's relationships, there's all all sorts, all sorts um, that play into that. So it's now led me to look at the topic of self-esteem, which is funny because it is something that I've been unraveling so much more after I came out of the bridge, which was a retreat I did a couple of months ago. Uh, And I've noticed that every time I do any kind of deep emotional healing or grief work, I come out feeling stronger and a lot more confident. And it's so interesting because it really is true when Donna, who's one of the co-founders of the Bridge Retreat, and you can find all of their work on thebridgeretreat.com, they hold monthly um, emotional healing retreats in Somerset in England. Really recommend it for for everyone and anyone. And um, Donna, who's been my therapist for eight years, um, she's an amazing, amazing woman. She very, very plainly said it when we were at the bridge, you know, to, to love ourselves we really need to go in and do the grief work first. So we really go in and, and dig deep into all the old wounds and shit and trauma and, and losses and, and grief that we've held on to. And only once we can free those by expressing them and letting them out and acknowledging them and giving them our attention, then can we truly start to re-nurture and give ourselves back the love that we that we have been needing, that we so much deserve. And I'm like, ah, oh, that is the answer to self-love. You know, and some people are just like, oh, but just love yourself. And it's like, well, how the fuck am I meant to do that? I don't know how. What do you mean love yourself? Make myself a cup of tea? I've still got this voice in my head telling me I'm shit, you know? 
<laughs> it's it's a it's an interesting one and it's been a a very long journey for me of eight years um learning how to love myself again and it's been beautiful and it seems so fitting that right now I'm in the middle of Greece and I'm all of a sudden I've been led to an article on self-esteem and I think everything we are mirrored or shown in life is truly a reflection of where we're at and so where I've come to now in this is maybe a huge reminder to myself of my own self-esteem um something that I need to continue to to build on and to believe in so yeah uh low self-esteem can make us feel many ways can make us do many many things But the topic that got me there tonight was the sexual manipulation and seeking uh, validation from our sexuality. So another thing that he said, which was really interesting, this is continuing on from Nathaniel Brandon, is being competent to cope with the challenges of life and of being worthy of happiness is self-esteem. It is confidence in our ability to learn, make appropriate choices and decisions and respond effectively to change. It is the experience that success, achievement, fulfillment and happiness are right and natural for us. It is a consciousness to trust ourselves. It strives for rationality, coherence, clarity and truth. And then he defines the six practices of a healthy self-esteem. And one is living consciously, respect for facts, open to new knowledge and feedback, and seeking to understand the world and ourselves. Number two is self-acceptance, realism applied to self, the willingness to own, experience, and take responsibility for our thoughts, feelings, and actions without evasion, denial, or disowning. Number three is self-responsibility, Realizing that we are the author of our choices and actions, that each one of us is responsible for life and well-being and for the attainment of our goals. Number four is self-assertiveness, being authentic in our dealings with others, treating our values and persons with decent respect and social context, refusing to fake the reality of who we are or what we esteem in order to avoid disapproval. The willingness to stand up for ourselves and our ideas in inappropriate ways, sorry, in appropriate ways, in appropriate contexts. Number five is living purposefully, identifying our short-term and long-term goals or purposes and the actions needed to attain them. And number six is integrity, living with congruence between what we know, what we profess and what we do telling the truth, honouring our commitments, exemplifying in action the values we profess to admire. And I just found that so true and beautiful. From number one straight down to number six. And these are defined as the six practices of a healthy self-esteem. And I think if we could add any more in there, I'd say number one really is grief work. As Donna was saying, as you learn with emotional healing, um, 
so much of our self-esteem is shot down from childhood wounds, stuff that happens to us as kids in our early uh, childhood growing up, our self-esteem, you know, maybe we lost it in relationships growing up, maybe uh, we lost it from not getting enough attention or affection or acknowledgement from our parents or our family or friends and you know, all these things accumulate and they just kind of plummet our self-esteem lower and lower and lower. So it's really until we go back to those times in our life where, and, and, and that we're able to fully express them and grieve them in, in spaces that allow us to do that mm, through therapy, through emotional healing retreats. I know there's also the Hoffman process. Um, I haven't done that. I've just done the bridge. Um, and I and I I'd like to think that if we could throw one more in there, uh, maybe coming first before living consciously, um, would be grief work. And we can choose to live consciously. Uh, during grief work, as we probably get there in the first place by our conscious awareness. And then self-acceptance and self-responsibility and self-assertiveness. I think all of these things uh, can come during or after dealing with grief work. And grief work can continue. We have many layers to, fall, to, to peel back and unfold. And life is an ever-learning journey. So within this process, we can then put into place these Lovely uh, six, six practices of a healthy self-esteem. Um, he says here at the end, what all these have in common is respect for reality, which is a very Buddhist practice. It's that uh, living mindfully with our full awareness and attention uh, being true to our feelings, true with others, being real, owning all of ourselves, owning our feelings, our emotions, what we think, what we say, taking responsibility for our actions, knowing that we have choice. And uh, he actually goes into how this affects women and the psychology of women and it's really interesting here so um, what we call high self-esteem and low self-esteem Nathaniel Brandon calls self-esteem and pseudo self-esteem he defines pseudo self-esteem as trying to compensate for deficiencies a pretense at a self-confidence and self-respect the effort to protect self-esteem with denial and evasion, which only results in a further deterioration of self-esteem. Pseudo-self-esteem can be easily identified by the defensiveness with which insecure people may respond when, with, when their errors are pointed out, or the extraordinary feats of avoidance and self-deception people can exhibit with regard to gross acts of non-consciousness and irresponsibility, or the foolish and pathetic ways people sometimes try to prop up their egos by the wealth or prestige of their spouse, the make of their automobile, or the fame of their dress designer, or by the exclusiveness of their golf club. 
So um, we learned about this also at the bridge of grandiosity and inferiority and how they both also stem from low self-esteem. So that grandiosity is, this is how much money I own, look at what I have, da 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 You know, the ego kind of steps in and puts all of that out there and it's, you know, all about look at me, me, me and then inferiority, you know, not feeling good enough and so acting out in ways... Um, to try and pretend that the confidence is there. So traits of pseudo-self-esteem include delusional, ignorance, denial, evasion, betrayal of consciousness or conviction, lack of integrity, grandiosity, fantasies of superiority, conceited, an exaggerated opinion of oneself, boasting, arrogance, and the victim mentality of blaming others. What all these have in common is the lack of respect for reality, but the biggest indicator is the angry denial of low self-esteem or the denial that self-esteem is significant or desirable. There is no black and white and there are various degrees, but at the extremes, I have found the following to be true of high self-esteem women and low self-esteem women. So this is now written by the man who's sharing his... Uh, open story with his um, ex-partner, ex-wife uh, and the kind of findings that he was trying to understand after their marriage ended. So <laughs> it's quite interesting reading from a man's perspective. So here we go. This kind of works in favor of this topic. So low self-esteem women are insecure and seek validation from men, which is exactly what we're talking about. High self-esteem women are secure in themselves and have nothing to prove. Low self-esteem women have a bottomless pit of emotional need that can never be filled. High self-esteem women are self-fulfilled. Low self-esteem women will manipulate a man to make him meet her needs. High self-esteem women know exactly what they want in a man and when they find one, enjoy who he is. Low self-esteem women are quick to obtain their man's tokens of devotion, such as expensive gifts or immediately requiring a monogamous relationship. High self-esteem women are suspicious of expensive gifts early on and do not decide that they want a relationship with the man until she gets to know him well. Low self-esteem women would steal a man if it would give her validation. High se- so crazy. I see this happen so much. High self-esteem women are not at all interested in another man in another woman's man. Yes, amen to that. <laughs> Low self-esteem women trade sex for attention and for verification that they are attractive and worthy. For high self-esteem women, sex is about sharing and celebrating sexuality. Beautiful, beautifully put. Low self-esteem women respond to being treated poorly in an attempt to prove their worthiness. High self-esteem women expect to be treated well and respond only to that. For a low self-esteem woman, it's not about the man. It's about her own needs. For a high self-esteem woman, it's about what her and her man enjoy together. Low self-esteem women blame their problems on other people. They have the victim mentality. High self-esteem women assume personal responsibility for their own lot in life. Low self-esteem women are motivated by moving away from bad. High self-esteem women are motivated by moving towards good. Low self-esteem women must control others by manipulation. 
High self-esteem women see that as unhealthy. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Low self-esteem women are drama queens. High self-esteem women seek harmony. Low self-esteem women have a warped sense of deservedness. High self-esteem women have a healthy sense of deservedness. Self-esteem is formed early in life and takes years to develop. A woman's biggest influence in her developing years are her parents. And it is her father that has the most important influence. It is through him that she acquires the ability or lack of ability to have an emotionally healthy relationship with men. That's an interesting one because I think both parents play a big role. Definitely a lot of my early on unhealthy toxic relationships were uh, mirrors of the unhealthy uh, relationship that I had with my mother. And there are both positive and negative traits to our parents and we might pick up on... uh, negative traits from either parent in a relationship so I don't think it's solely on the uh, based on the um, relationship that we have with our fathers although that does that definitely does influence a lot and then it goes on into um, goes on into the uh, topic of um women in the relationships with their fathers so yeah I just I I don't know if that shed some light for you guys it really shed a lot of light for me and it it seems like that and the root cause is really all about self-esteem and I guess self-esteem has so much to play for everything but in in regards to this topic precisely I think that fits it so uh so well and I'll put the link to that um to that article up in this podcast underneath wherever you get the writing um and now that really drives me to want to continue which is the work that I've always that I've been doing for so long but to really empower people generally men and women but so much so women to just be able to recognize their their worth and and their incredible innate nature within that is in just incredible the way that it is already without needing to do anything to we are so amazing just as we are men and women we are so incredible let us not be reduced by the things that society or poor childhood conditioning uh, reduces us to believe. Let's take full action and uh, awareness of ourselves and responsibility to make that change, to heal from within so that we can create making space to grieve so that we can create more space to love so that we can live truly in love and when we shift our own consciousness we are adding to the collective consciousness as a whole And that's just a beautiful 
way of living and, and being able to help. You know, many people say, oh, I want to help this or I want to help that or that they'll look at the news and they'll stare at every starving child and focus all their energy on everything that's going wrong in the world right now and feel totally helpless. And then there's that really simple quote that says, if you want to change the world, start with yourself first. Because we are all one. We are this oneness, this collective consciousness. And so whatever we do within ourselves, the healing starts from within us. We pour out, our energy pours out into the collective consciousness, consciousness helping to inspire and grow others, not by preaching, not by judging, but just simply by focusing on our own health and healing. That energy shows, I'm telling you. We might not see it, it's a very subtle part of our existence in that it's not easy to hear, taste, see, smell unless you are gifted with that or have developed that ability to uh, sense energy. But it is very much a massive part of our existence and we are constantly emitting and receiving energy. So whatever work we're doing on ourselves it's showing, it's out there, it's in our energy, it's, it's vibrating out there to others. And that's either inspiring others or not inspiring others. <laughs> so, yeah. Whew, that was a good, good insight of my chest. And I tend to get these and it's like my brain just goes, ah, oh, wow, discovery, insight, woo. It's like insight moments in the randomest of times and usually I write them out. Um, but this podcast has really helped me to just get it out into words. Sometimes I feel like I have too much to say to write out and I love that I'm able to share it with you guys. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So if you have any thoughts or um questions or you want to share your experiences or your thoughts and your you know what you believe um please do this is open everything is open for discussion and uh, i'd love to hear what you guys have to say so you can find all of my contact details on lifespacehealing.com um and i will also be holding my next listening circle which is in London, this time with a dear friend, Antarma, who is an incredible musical maestro, does meditation and mantras, and we're going to be fusing together the listening circle, which, if you haven't been, is just an intimate space, safe space created, uh, where we are able to uh, share and, and show our vulnerabilities and our challenges or anything that we're facing in life, so each person takes it in turn to share uh, something that they might really want to re release and feel a relief from, uh, we do take it back, trace it back to older childhood wound patterns, but it's, it's uh, an opportunity to grieve, to let go, to release. And uh, then we come together at the end, we'll be coming together at the end to do some mantra, mantras, which are chanting, and um, they have incredible benefits physically, mentally, emotionally. Mantras are an ancient um, practice of chanting from India and so we're going to be getting together to uh, 
to ex further express ourselves in this way with Antarma. And that's going to be on the 5th of August, which is a Sunday, um, from 3 till 6 p.m. at Prana Yoga Space in London. And the event can be also found on my website, lifespacehealing.com. Just head over to events. Uh, so please come join us <laughs> um, if you wish, if you feel committed to your inner work and you feel called and it feels right for you, then please do come join us. There are limited tickets. You can find the tickets there up on the event. Otherwise, I will hopefully be back soon with another episode, but I hope you enjoyed for now and it is officially time to shut down as it's 1am here and I've kept you guys long enough so I'm going to leave you again with my favourite track of the evening and if it's nighttime, sleep well if it's morning good morning if it's afternoon have an amazing day <laughs>